Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Father Chris Alar, one of the Miriam priests here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. We're glad you're with us. We are doing an important talk today. This is part two. I apologize last week that I didn't finish um, the talk on the extraordinary form of the Mass, TLM, or the traditional Latin Mass, and its comparison to our current Novus Ordo Mass, which is so much confusion, and we started it last week, and I split it because there's just too much. Um, if you missed it, that's okay. You can go back and watch it later. This will still make sense, and we hope that uh, you'll just keep an open mind because this is, uh, this is something that I think is not well understood. So we're going to try our best to explain that to you today. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you, send the Holy Spirit down upon us to open our minds and our hearts, to hear your word, to discern your will, to be able to follow the church, to be able to discern what is good, what is not good, and to be able to live in our lives that mercy that you give us through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask all this through the intercession of our Mother Mary and through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's good that we have a, a group that made it in in the cold weather, so we're glad you could be with us. Now, last week, we presented to you some of the details uh, about what the extraordinary format is. We talked about it a little bit. Now, remember, I'm going to say the same thing again this week. This talk is not to walk you through the extraordinary form and to teach you about that. That will be a future talk. Okay, today we're just explaining what is the church teaching on the extraordinary form versus the ordinary form that we celebrate here at the Marian Fathers on a regular basis and, and give you an understanding of how they came to be and what the church is saying. But to actually learn it, that'll be a topic again for another time. Okay, so the Novus Ordo Mass is the Mass that we, we explained last week comes from Paul VI in his revision of the Missal in 1969, promulgated in 1970. Prior to that, the revision of the Missal was done by John the 23rd in the 1962 Missal. So we kind of reference those by their names. The 1962 Missal is the Missal of John the 23rd, which is used in the extraordinary form. And the Missal of Paul VI is more what we have today in our church, and we refer to that as the Novus Ordo uh, Mass. Now, let's go through this, because the Novus Ordo, I'm going to start right off the bat and address some of the big questions, like a common, common um, thing that you will hear is that the Novus Ordo is invalid. And this is very interesting. I want to hit this point right up front because Pius V declared that this mass, meaning the mass of the extraordinary form, the Trinitine mass, the mass of Trent, cannot change. So let's look at our slide. Here's a picture of Pius V. Okay. Uh, we celebrate his feast day in April. And he was Pope during the time of Trent, and he codified the Trinitine Mass. Now, he wrote a papal bull 
called Quo Primum. Now let's look at our quote from this. This is powerful. Pius V said, quote, by this present constitution, talking about the Trinitine Mass, which will be valid henceforth, now and forever, we order and enjoin that nothing must be added to our recently published missal, nothing omitted from it, nor none, anything whatsoever be changed within it. Now, this is just like scripture. You can use this statement for one side or the other. Basically, Paul, uh, Pius V codified the extraordinary form of the Mass, the Mass, the Trinitine Mass, with the Missal, okay, and said you can't change it. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You cannot change it. So a lot of people who are angry with the current church in the mass form will use this statement. Now, this is fascinating because here you've got this pope saying it cannot be changed. Well, then what are we doing? How did the church change this after Vatican II? All right, this is really important. The first of all, we got to realize, did you know a year later, Pius V changed the missile himself? In 1570, when it was codified, he said, you cannot change it. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. But in 1571, he altered it. And then later, there were six more changes. In 1604, we had Clement VIII, who did a lot more. You know what Clement VIII did? He changed the missile. This is 1604 now, not after Vatican II. He updated the scriptural text. He abolished the prayers of the priest entering the church. He shortened the prayers after the confidior. He changed the rubrics related to consecration. Wow. He made spoken prayers inaudible. And then, then later, my favorite pope of all time, Leo XIII, made another complete revision in 1884. So what's going on here? I'm completely confused, right? You might be saying that to yourself. So wait a minute, Pius V says, this is codified in 1570. This is the missile of the extraordinary form. It can never be changed, not even the slightest bit. It can't be added to, can't be taken out. Nothing can be done, yet he changes it. Clement VIII changed it. Leo XIII changed it. What's going on? Well, then in 1920, Benedict XV added the feasts, added more feasts to the Roman calendar. In 1955, Pius XII made major change. He revised Holy Week and the Easter Vigil in the Missal. From 1906 on, most popes gave much freedom to the use of the vernacular. I bet you didn't know this. People think that it was only after Vatican II that we started using the vernacular. No. After 1906, most of the popes gave freedom to use the vernacular within Mass. Pius XII allowed readings in the vernacular, meaning their own language, to increase participation. All of this was before Vatican II. All of it. So the, the, I think this is important. These were never, this was never an understanding that there could never be any changes be made to the 1570 Missal. Now, how then did Pope Pius V say that? Okay, now... In fact, nobody even mentioned Quo Primum, this papal bull, 
until after Vatican II? How come it wasn't mentioned when all those other changes were going on? All right, the main point here is no individual person has the right to alter the missile. Well, what does that mean? All right, we're going to watch a quick video. And I, I scoured the Internet. I, I mean, I looked for hours upon hours upon hours. And this is why I love you guys joining me for these talks, because I really feel God is calling me to do this to save you. You guys don't have time to do this stuff. You got families, you got groceries to get. And, and, and so this is where I think God can use us Marians. And so I finally found it in a one and a half minute video clip. Finally, after being up all night looking for it, how could Pius V say it? If we didn't follow it, here's the answer. Let's play this video. Yeah, the caller is asking about a document, um, Quo Primum, by Pius V. And so in Quo Primum, what some people are saying is they're saying that the Pope indicates that the Latin Mass is the only liturgy that can be celebrated in the Roman Rite, and no pope can undo this. No pope can reverse this or change oh. it or alter this missile. That's the claim. Um, however, if you look at Quo Primum, what Pius V actually is indicating is that no one beneath his authority could alter that missile. So no bishop, no cardinal, no nobody else aside from a pope could alter it. He doesn't say aside from a pope because that's already understood that one pope cannot bind another pope on a matter of discipline. So it's already understood by Pius V that he's not speaking of a successor undoing his missile. He's speaking about people below the office of a pope. They cannot alter the missile on their own. It's curious that Pius V himself alters his own missile. So he himself, if he had intended to say that this could never be altered after Quo Primus promulgated, well, he altered his own missile. And there were other successive popes who also altered similar aspects to it. The same kind of words is used for promulgating the breviary, and yet that was also altered by Pius X. And so it was always understood that one pope could never bind another pope on a matter of discipline. So it was understood that Quo Primum was to be binding on everyone aside from a pope who were to say, I'm going to reverse this. And in the case of Paul VI, who, you know, made some alterations to the missile in the Roman Rite, in the document where he does this, in the very apostolic constitution where he, you know, gives us the Novus Ordo Mise, he quotes Quo Primum. So he's aware of Quo Primum. He's aware of what Pius V said. So Paul VI doesn't see a problem with it, anything that Pius VI says. I'm sorry, Pius V, because Paul VI knows that one pope cannot bind another pope in matters of discipline. The only thing a pope could bind another pope to is in a matter of faith and morals if the pope were to teach it infallibly. So no no pope could now come out and say, you know what, the Immaculate Conception isn't true. Even though my predecessor taught it, taught it infallibly, ah, it's not infallible anymore. No pope could do that because that relates to a matter of faith and morals that's been taught definitively. But discipline cannot be imposed definitively. Okay, that was a video clip from Pints of Aquinas, which is a very, I've watched their podcast before, I trust them. That statement got it all. See, basically, no priest, bishop, cardinal even, deacon, nobody can change the missile of the mass, but the pope or a council like Trent or Vatican I or Vatican II can. 
the Pope and the council. That's the only ones. So when he said nobody can change us, he meant Bishop so-and-so or Cardinal so-and-so. They can't change it. And it finally made sense to me last night. And that's powerful. So when this is used to declare the changes in our current mass of Paul VI is invalid, it's actually not true. I'm not saying we agree with those changes, but it's, you can't call it invalid. It's not true. That's not a true statement. Okay, so basically, the, I explained to the people here in the shrine that a pope cannot restrict a future pope unless it is declared ex cathedra infallible teaching regarding faith and morals. So, for instance, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception that was declared infallible teaching of faith and morals that could never be changed even by a future priest, uh, a pope. It cannot. However, matters of discipline, which the rubrics in, like I said, I use the example of the kiss of peace, all right, shaking of the hands, cut that out or not cut that out. That's a matter of discipline. We, the Pope has the authority to change the missile. Now, discipline can be changed by a future Pope. All right, but as I said, infallible teaching of faith and morals cannot be. So John Twenty-Third made the last small change to the missile in 1962, which we now refer to the Extraordinary Form Missile until Vatican II. Then after Vatican II, another major revision was done in 1969. And since then, there's been three editions. We, Marians, and all the others in the church use this edition of the Missal. And if you'll see, and I'm sorry, you can't see it, but I'll read it to you. If you look in the first few pages, it basically references the third edition, okay? For use in the United States, this here is the third edition. That means there's been three revisions just since this missile was released or promulgated in 1970. All right, this is the missile of Paul VI, as we said last week. Okay, now, since Vatican II, this major revision has happened, and the last was by John Paul II, the last was by John Paul. So the 1962 missile is still in use, but it's not the ordinary way we celebrate mass. And personally, I don't like that term because there's nothing ordinary about the mass, whether it's the Novus Ordo mass or the extraordinary form, the Trinitine mass, there's nothing ordinary about it. But Pope Benedict used that term to mean ordinary. That means that's what we usually do on a normal day ordinary celebration, meaning the repetitive common celebration. Doesn't mean ordinary like there's no mystery or miracles. There is. Okay, so basically the ordinary way to celebrate it, there is in the 1962 still in use a missile that celebrates it in the extraordinary form. All right. Now, some, including Pope Francis, this is where we get into some issues, saw this as a repudiation of Vatican II. He saw this as a revolt against Vatican II, and therefore they were against it, against the, the having the extraordinary form. But remember, here's the thing. The sacrifice of Christ is what matters, all right? And it is present in both the traditional Latin Mass and the Novus Ordo, 
all right? Both have infinite value. Both have infinite grace. We cannot say that one has more grace than the other. They're both infinite. Now, we can say one is more reverent. We can say things like that, but we can't say that one's invalid. It's untrue. So the argument is made that, for instance, the extraordinary form better forms the people in prayer. I actually agree. But do you know that's not the main purpose of the Mass? As we said last week, what's the main purpose of the Mass? The sacrifice of Christ. You being present at Calvary as he's being sacrificed and the worship of God. That is primary and that has been maintained in the Novus Ordo. So when we hear the attacks against it, we got to ask, what's the purpose of the Mass? The sacrifice of Christ and the worship of God, and both have been maintained. Now, whether we do it reverently or not is a whole other issue. We're going to talk about it in a minute. I'm going to show you some videos. I'm going to show you another video that's just going to shock you. All right. So then in, 19, in 2007, we talked about last week, Pope Benedict issued Summorum Pontificum, all right, and it said both forms are good, all right? They can exist side by side and don't compete with each other. So Benedict said that the 1962 Missal can be revised. He called it the extraordinary form of the Mass. Because now we have a completely new form of Mass, but it's not a different rite. We do not have two rites. And this is the whole problem. Even our Pope, it appears to me, now I can't speak for him, but it appears to me with all these documents I've read, it appears that he's almost treating like that we have two rights and I'm going to, he never, he never suppressed it, the old right, but he restricted it. It's almost like, I believe this is just my opinion that he's treating it like there's two rights and we want to get back to one right. The problem, he's wrong. There are not two rights. And again, I'm guessing that this is his impression. I'm guessing. I can't speak for him. But that's how I take it as I read this massive amount of material. Now, is the new mass illegitimate? Is it, is it, is it invalid? Let's talk about this. Now, there was a great article by Father Brian Harrison. I'm going to quote some from him, but this to me is fascinating. All right. Most agree that the Latin mass, the traditional Latin mass, is more beautiful more reverent, but the Novus Ordo done rightly can be beautiful and reverent, okay? Insofar as the Novus Ordo is being practiced today, not the way it is in itself, not its teaching or its meaning, but the way that it is practiced and violating the living tradition, that is not the Novus Ordo Mass. That's an abuse of the Novus Ordo Mass. You see the difference? If you walk into a clown mass, that does not mean the Novus Ordo Mass is invalid. It means the practice and the way they're doing it is an abuse of the Novus Ordo Mass. If I walk into a clown mass, I'm not going to say that's the Novus Ordo Mass. I'm going to say that's an abuse of the Novus Ordo Mass. And that's a, a rightful uh, criticism. We should never be doing this stuff. All right, so the way the Novus Ordo Mass is practiced does not make it invalid. It may be illicit, like a clown mass, all right? But Latin, 
All right, people will say, well, that makes it invalid because you're not using Latin. Here's the thing, everybody. Latin is beautiful, but it is not an essential part of the nature of the mass making it valid or invalid. All right, it is not invalid without Latin, even though Vatican II even said Latin's the preferred language. That's, that's how we should do the mass. And so we now have Novus Ordo masses in the Latin. Father Kaz, Father Kaz and I were just walking through the missile last night. He was showing me the Novus Ordo Missal, all in Latin. I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute. However, Latin doesn't, this is the good thing about Latin, though, even though it's not required to have a valid mass. Do you know that Latin doesn't really develop like the language in English and other languages? You ever read Chaucer, the Old English, or even Shakespeare? Try to figure out what the heck they are saying. And that's English. English is developed over the centuries. Latin doesn't. Latin is set. So the beauty of Latin, if we stick to the Latin, is there'll never be any confusion about the meaning of words or the changes of words. Latin is set, doesn't develop, so the meaning is maintained through the centuries. And Latin has never been banned. Using Latin has never been banned. People say, oh, Vatican II banned it. No, it didn't. Oh, Vatican II said turn the altars around. No, it didn't. All right. So some radical traditionalist. Now, I, I said last week, I'm a traditionalist. But I wouldn't call myself radical to the sense that I reject the mass. You guys know I celebrate this mass every day. So I can't reject this mass. I, I don't believe it's invalid. But I am a traditionalist. Well, Father, are you a radical traditionalist? No. As Scott Hahn uses the term, I'm not a rad trad, he says. I'm a glad trad. Because he says, I've noticed that the Radtrads get angry. They hate the church, the current church. And he's not all, please, I'm not saying all, some. And he said, if you're a Radtrad, radical traditionalist that hates the current mass and would die before you would go to a current mass, that's actually a sin. You have every right to go to the traditional Latin mass, but if you cannot find one, and it's a Sunday, and you are not able to get to one, and there's a Novus Ordo mass right down the street, and you say, I'm not going to that, that's your pride. And Scott Hahn pointed out, you're in grave sin. Well, I, I'm not going, I'm so angry with this. I'm angry too. I'm angry about any cover-ups or, or dishonesty within the ranks of the church. But we can't reject the grace God is giving us. And if you can't find an extraordinary form of mass, you are morally obligated to go to the Norvis Ordo. That is just the teaching of the church. Now, I'm not saying that I wouldn't prefer the traditional form or its reverence, but God gave the church this authority. And so... We have to, to factor that in. Okay, so some radical traditionalists hold the belief that there have been no true popes since Vatican II. They are very angry. And as like I said, that's why Scott Hahn calls himself not a rad trad, but a glad trad. Not rejecting the current church, being happy. And he, he said basically their claim is that the Novus Ordo Mass is invalid. And even if it was valid, listen to this. It reeks so strongly of Protestantism and modernism that it is illicit, simply unacceptable for Catholic worship. Now, I agree with you. It may smell 
of Protestantism and modernism, if you don't know the full and understand fully, completely what's happening. Yes, there were some ecumenical efforts, but that does not invalidate the mass. Okay? Now, some dissidents claim that it expresses a different, completely non-Catholic religion, so much so that it's immoral, forbidden by God, to celebrate or even attend the ordinary form mass. SSPX, the Society of St. Pius X, is basically saying the Novus Ordo Mass, as it is today, is to be regarded as non-Catholic. Sorry, that's, that's not true. That's why they're in schism. That would leave, if this was true, hundreds of millions of people without access to any legitimate Mass. Do we really believe that God is going to do that to us? If God tells us the only way to salvation is through the sacraments, he said this through his church. Why in the world, if the Novus Order was completely invalid, I'm not saying it can't be done illicitly, there can be clown masses, and it can be illicit, but it's not invalid. If it was invalid, that would mean God is prohibiting you, commanding you to go to church for salvation, but then not giving you a church to do it. That, that doesn't make any sense. In most countries, the traditional Latin Mass is, is unavailable. And where they are, they're few and far between, thousands of miles apart. How could God tell you you got to go to Mass and then not give you a valid Mass? These are the things we got to think of. Has Christ abandoned all of these people without any true Catholic worship? I don't think so. Those against the Church insist that it's not just a matter of doctrine, or excuse me, not just a matter of practice, but a matter of doctrine. Now we're going to get into the deep stuff, all right? There's a, um, a thing out on the web. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, it's pulled a lot of Catholics away. This is a Catholic priest, Father Anthony Cicada, and he wrote Work of Human Hands, a theological critique of the Mass of Paul VI. And in it, he says the new rite, quote, destroys Catholic doctrine in the minds of the faithful. Now, I'm not saying that some people haven't had their faith destroyed by seeing scandalous masses, but that doesn't mean the mass is invalid. It means the practice that they're doing it is abuse. See the difference there? All right, he says, in particular, Catholic doctrine is destroyed concerning the holy sacrifice of the mass, the priesthood, and the real presence. I'm going to address every one of those right now. Every one. And he says it permits or prescribes grave irreverence. This is on page seven of his book. Now, I don't disagree with him that there is an irreverence. It bugs me when I see people at the Novus Ordo Mass and there's Cheerios being thrown and crunched in the pew and trucks. And I mean, when I came to mass from the earliest time I can remember in my life, three years old, I had a suit on. I stood with the congregation. I knelt with the congregation. I was three. My mom didn't bounce me up and down on the pews. I didn't sprawl out across the pews and throw toys and color and everything, even though I understand you may have a child that needs to be occupied. I do get that. I'm not criticizing that. But it is possible to have reverence, but it is 
Not uncommon to see some irreverence. That doesn't make, again, the mass invalid. It means it's illicit if it's done illicitly in abuse, okay? Now, <clears throat> yes, it's true that optional liturgical practices, such as communion in the hand, and by the way, we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, communion in the hand and the sign of peace, we know from before communion, can indeed open abuses and can become the occasion of irreverence. I'm going to be talking about this in the future. So communion in the hand, the kiss of peace where everybody's turning around, Jesus is on the altar and, and we're giving high fives out in the pew. That can open abuses. However, they are not in themselves invalid or even irreverent if done the right way. And you cannot find anything gravely irreverent prescribed, meaning made obligatory, in the text of the Roman Missal or its germ. You know what the germ is? You've heard that say the, the germ, G-I-R-M, not, not G-E-R-M. The general instruction of the Roman Missal. There's nothing in that today that is inherently irreverent, even though we take advantage and abuse and make irreverent its practice. So, uh, SSPX, St. Society of St. Peter, says that the Novus Ordo undermines the faith in the sacrificial character of the Mass. Really? I want to show you right now that's not true. Yeah, it's true that some sacrifice-expressing prayers added during medieval times have been dropped from the offertory, but hardly has the sacrifice of Christ been deleted from the Mass. Every Novus Ordo Mass expresses the doctrine of the Eucharistic sacrifice multiple times. So one of the biggest things you're going to hear if you come to this Nova Sordo Mass or you come to the Mass of the Marian Fathers is, I don't go to that. It's been stripped of all the sacrificial meaning. And you know what? If you don't know your Mass, you won't know how to answer that. It's been stripped of all sacrificial aspects of Christ's sacrifice. All right, I'm going to talk about that. It's not true. One, the sacrificial nature is found in many of the offertory prayers over the gifts. So when I pray as a priest over the gifts, these they are called the offertory prayers, they are filled with reference to the sacrifice of Christ. The priest's secret offertory prayer that we pray when we bend at the altar and I, I'm in silence and you don't hear me, I'm saying, my, my sacrifice this day be pleasing to you, O Lord. May our sacrifice, the sacrifice of this Mass, you don't even hear the priest say that, what about my invitation as a priest to you, the people? Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. That's in every Mass. What about your response? May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all this holy church. This means that you make it your own sacrifice, not just the priest's sacrifice. Does this sound like the sacrifice is no longer in the Novus Ordo Mass? It is. The very words of consecration have a sacrificial purpose. This is my body, which will be given up for you. 
in sacrifice. These words are actually absent from the Trinitine formula. But you didn't know that. The sacrifice is actually in in a greater way than in the Trinitine formula. And then people won't tell you that. Okay, here's a big one. In the Roman canon, what's the Roman canon? Okay, there's, in our current missal, there's four Eucharistic prayers. Prayer one is the long one, prayer, Eucharistic prayer two, Eucharistic prayer three, and Eucharistic prayer four. A lot of people will complain that before the Novus Ordo Mass of Paul VI, there was only one, the Roman canon. Now, they said in each, in the Roman canon, in each of those Eucharistic prayers, the sacrificial character of the Mass is not expressed, and it is. It is. All right? So, let's look at this. Eucharistic prayer one, the long one, it's 1,600 years old. And that's the prayer that's used in the extraordinary form. This is the original canon, and it's almost exactly the same. Father Kaz showed me. Last night, we had both missiles out. And God bless Father Kaz. He's, he was helping me do so much homework. And we walked through the Latin in both the extraordinary form and the Latin, uh, Novus Ordo in Latin. It's almost identical. And he's walking through, and I'm like, wow. Now there is some smite changes, though. He showed me the comparison with the 53 missile, which is even before the 62. And the recent Novus Ordo missile in Latin, they are very similar. Now, some will say that the Roman canon changed in the Novus Ordo because the Mysterium Fide, what's the Mysterium Fide? The mystery of faith. Now, when I, as a priest, genuflect and I stand, I say the mystery of faith. And what do you say? when we eat this bread and drink this cup, or um, save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection, you know, so these are, these are the responses. Now, here's the thing, everybody. The Mysterium Fide, it is complained about the Novus Ordo Mass, was part of the words of institution, part of the consecration, and not separated out as it is in the Novus Ordo. Oh, that makes the Mass invalid. However, this might be a good thing. You know why? Jesus never said those words. All the other words of consecration are directly from Christ in the upper room. In the Novus Ordo form of the Mass, the Mysterium Fide, the mystery of faith, has been removed from the consecration and put separately. And people have condemned the Novus Ordo because of it. They have criticized the Novus Ordo because of it. They have declared it invalid because of it. I'm not so sure it wasn't the correct move because Christ never said those words. Everything else in the words of institution are directly spoken by Christ. That's fascinating. I'm not saying there aren't problems with the Novus Ordo Mass. I'm not saying that I don't love the extraordinary form, maybe even more. What I'm saying is the Novus Ordo Mass is not invalid. This is what we have to understand. All right, so the Eucharistic Prayer 2, this is condemned. 
Oh, it was added. Well, do you know where it comes from? It comes from Hippolytus of Rome going back to the year 400. All right. Let's jump ahead. I'm going to come back to three, but let's jump ahead to four. Do you know where Eucharistic prayer four comes? It comes from the Eastern Church. It goes all the way back to the earliest centuries and traditional roots. Now, the biggest one that's criticized is Eucharistic prayer three, which came to us new. A lot of people will say, oh, it was formed by the people of Vatican II in a, in a restaurant. And it destroys the sacrificial nature of the Mass. Okay, let's look at this. This is so important. When you're told the Mass you go to is not invalid, let's turn to Eucharistic Prayer 3. You know what Eucharistic Prayer 3, which is accused of being completely non-sacrificial? Let's look at this. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. What about this? We celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your son. That's a sacrifice, the passion. What about this? Look, we pray upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of Christ and we know the prayer. Right there. Recognizing the sacrificial victim. What about this one? May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Did we hear that? May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray. This is full of the sacrificial nature that we celebrate in the Novus Ordo Mass are constantly being condemned it doesn't do. I'm doing this research and going back to my notes and working with Chris Sparks and doing all that Father Cass. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how much the Novus Ordo Mass still has. But yes, the problem is the practice. The problem is the irreverence, but it doesn't make it invalid. We got to fix the reverence. All right. What about the fact that the Novus Ordo is said destroys belief in the priesthood and the real penance? Uh, I'm sorry, real presence her father, Sakata, who wrote this book. Yeah, it's true that the role of the priest celebrant in some ways is no longer distinguished as much from the laity. He's facing them now. I, I get that. That's that. I, I agree with Otto Orientum. I think the priest should be facing forward. But his prominence in the mass remains unmistakable. He's not mixed in with the laity, as is said. Okay, what about belief in the real presence? Yeah, this is a big problem. Belief in the real presence, I said last week, in the Novus Ordo Mass, at least this is what the studies tell us. I, I hope they're the media lying, I really do. But if it's not, and we, we take it for what it is, 30% of Catholics believe in the real presence. But yet those who go to the extraordinary form, 97%. There's a problem. 
even though this mass is not invalid, it can be celebrated illicitly like clown masses, liturgical dance. We can't have that. We should not have the laity distributing Holy Communion as the priest is sitting in his chair. We should not irreverently be receiving in the hand. I've had people come up to me with knit gloves and expected me to put the Eucharist into a knit glove. Do you realize the particles that would get caught in that? And I would not. And uh, the person was just right here, in fact. And the person got very angry. No, I'm not going to put our Lord into a knit glove. These are the practices, not the invalidation of the Mass. It's the discipline, not the dogma. It's the practice, not the doctrine. And so we have to understand that. Now, I'm going to get into something fascinating here. All right, so belief in the real presence, yes, is a problem. We've lost reverence. But most of the blame for this, you know where I'll put the blame? The blame is the weakening of faith, which is from bad theology taught in our seminaries. Praise be to God, I got the greatest seminary training. And that's what I share with you every week here on Saturday. Okay? Um, bad theology from their seminaries. Bad or non-existent preaching in the pulpit that doesn't touch sin or abortion or contraception or hell. Totally absent. Bad preaching, bad catechesis about the Eucharist, secularism, decline in mass attendance, widespread liturgical disobedience, sloppy, irreverent celebrations. I'm going to show you a mass now that I can't even believe happened. You're going to see this. You're going to be scandalized. This was an actual mass in the Diocese of Chicago. Let's watch this video, because when you do watch it, you'll realize there are issues. So let's watch this video real quick. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure this is the first time this has happened at the feet of the cross of new life.
you just saw that video, there is no excuse for that. No excuse for some guy dancing around blowing bubbles in the mass or a rock group of electric guitars and drums playing cool in the gang from 1980. This is unacceptable. Unacceptable. You don't have that in the extraordinary form of the mass. However, when a Nova Sordo is celebrated reverently and beautifully, you don't have that. You're not going to see Father Kaz up here blowing bubbles. You're not going to see Father Gabe singing cool in the gang. You're going to see reverence. This is the difference. Because a lot of people will say, Father, how come you're not condemning the Nova Sordo Mass? You just heard me explain why. Does it mean we don't celebrate it reverently? Absolutely we need to. And so we'll have future talks on this. All right, this is totally different. This, what you just watched in that video from what you see here at the Marian Fathers. Now, a lot of people will say that the, the Nova Sordo destroyed the real presence. The belief in the real presence has been destroyed, but for the reasons I just told you. Not the rubrics of the mass. It's been destroyed because of bad catechesis, bad seminaries, seminaries teaching us anti-things that are not Catholic teaching, that it's just a symbol in the Eucharist or Adam and Eve didn't exist. All right. The priest. How do we know there's real presence in the Novus Ordo Mass? Let's look at this. You know, the priest, we are required to bow before the bread and the chalice prior to the consecration, and then after consecration, genuflect after the elevation. You don't think this is acknowledgement of the real presence? I better, you better believe I acknowledge the real presence. Every time I lift that host, I say, my Lord and my God, in the words of St. Thomas. And then when I lift the chalice, I say, my Jesus mercy, which has been a tradition in the church for centuries. The recommended bell ringing or the incense for each consecration shows the Lord is present. The priest dramatically presenting the host and the chalice to the people and proclaims, behold, the Lamb of God. You better believe that is recognizing the real presence. The required kneeling of the ministers and the congregation during consecration shows its real presence. The solemn Eucharistic processions during the year that honor the reality of the body and blood of Christ, like Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. The services of Eucharistic adoration, benediction, outside of Mass, honor the real presence. All these features of the Mass of Paul VI, which we call the Pauline Liturgy, demonstrate that the charge that says it destroys the priesthood and the recognition of the real presence is false. All right. Now, let's go to our next slide. What's in the next slide? Okay. Let's see, where are we at here? Oh, man, I forgot to say, show some of these. Um, I apologize. I forgot to show some of these slides. I probably messed up Brother Mark. But... Here's, let's go to slide seven. This is a picture in slide uh, seven of the need for the reverence of the Novus Ordo. Look at that mass. 
That's beautiful. So when you see priests like Father Mark Goring, Father Wade Meninas of the Fathers of Mercy, Father Bill Casey of the Fathers of Mercy, Father Mitch Pacwa, Father Kaz, all of our Marian priests, you see reverence. But the claim that the Pauline Mass, our Mass, is stripped of prayers expressing Catholic doctrine is false. It ignores all the facts that our Missal maintains proper worship. The proper feasts of the new Missal have Mary, saints, purgatory. In the current Missal, we find not only a sacrifice I just went through with you, and the real presence, which I just told you, we bow to, we genuflect, but also the primacy of Peter and his successors. We pray for the Pope at every Mass, the Feast of the Chair of Peter on February 22nd, the Feast of the Saints Peter and Paul on June 29th. We recognize the papacy. What about the privileges of our Blessed Mother? There in the Mass, we celebrate the Immaculate Conception, the Assumption, the Divine Maternity, Perpetual Virginity, proclaiming the beginning at the beginning of most Masses. Our devotion to the other saints are in the Mass. We have tons of feast days celebrated throughout the year. Prayers for the dead shows that we are honoring the doctrine of purgatory. All right, we do that in funeral masses and masses of All Souls Day on November 2nd and others. All right, let's get into something now that's more an understanding of this mass being valid. A lot of people will bring up there were Protestants. There were Protestants that were advisors at Vatican II. Is this true? Yeah, but they had no voting rights on the Vatican Liturgical Concilium. None that actually did the revision of this missal and the resulting Novus Ordo Mass, they were already promoted by Catholic authors. The problem, and I said this last week, is this Archbishop Annabale Bugnini. A lot of questions have come out because he was prominent, a prominent Archbishop in Vatican II, Catholic Archbishop, and again, I'm not speculating. I'm not forming a conspiracy theory. I'm just telling you what has been stated by some very high levels in the church, that he was a Freemason. And as I said last week, it was told that he was picked by Paul VI, and he would meet with Paul VI, and he would tell them that the Concilium wanted certain things that watered down the Mass. And Paul VI says, gee, that sounds surprising to me. But if that's what the concilium wants, it's God's will. And he gave in. Then rumor has it that Bugnini would go back to the concilium and say, this is what Paul VI wants. And the concilium would say, gee, that's odd. It really seems to water down the mass. And he'd say, that's what Paul VI wants. And they'd say, okay, that must be God's will. So by the time it was figured out that he was playing one against the other, these changes had been made. So there is there watering down? Yes. Is there Protestant influence? Yes. But again, not invalidated. 
What about the fact that this is harmful to Catholic unity? All right. Both John Paul and Benedict insist, insist to keep church unity and that these people celebrating and attending the extraordinary form mass, please listen up here, must also acknowledge the doctrinal correctness and legitimacy of the Novus Ordo. That comes from Benedict and John Paul. Did you hear that? Both John Paul and Benedict insist for church unity that those celebrating and attending the extraordinary form must also acknowledge the doctrinal correctness and legitimacy of the ordinary form. That's probably the most important line of this entire talk. These condemnations of the Novus Ordo, they say, are harmful to Catholic unity and can lead to schism. Now, I'm going to finish now with Pope Francis. Why did he do what he did? Why? He never suppressed the extraordinary form, but he did restrict it. There's a difference. So I'm going to go here to Catholic Answers, one of my good sources, to their work called Pope Francis's Changes to the Latin Mass. And I'm going to summarize months of research for you. All right. In July 2021, Pope Francis narrowed the situations in which the celebration of the Latin Mass could be done. Let's go to our next slide. In his document titled Traditionis Custodes, which is Latin, ironically, Guardians of the Tradition. <laughs> I find that very ironic. Guardians of the Transition. He reversed Sumorum Pontificum of Benedict XVI. Under Benedict in 2007, that document, Sumorum Pontificum, gave the individual priest the right to be the primary decision maker concerning whether or not the Latin Mass could be celebrated. He didn't need permission. He could just do it. That was reversed by Pope Francis. So now the priest can't just do that. He has to go back to the bishop for permission. Now, although it is more limited, it is not ended. The extraordinary form, although we don't call it that now, Pope Francis doesn't call it that, has not been suppressed. Instead, the bishops whose diocese have groups of faithful for whom the 62 Missal and that liturgy is celebrated, are, quote, to designate one or more locations where these groups may gather for the Eucharistic celebration of the old form. Here's the problem to me. The new location specified in Pope Francis's document are not ordinary churches. This is odd. They may only be in personal parishes. Don't ask me what the heck that is. But they're not allowed to be in your parochial normal parish. They can only be in personal parishes. Already erected for this purpose. Odd. Although no new personal parishes are to be erected. So you're relegating it to personal parishes, and then you're saying no more new ones can be erected. 
The existing ones, though, can continue. They've not been suppressed, but it's up to the bishop if they can be celebrating mass there. So Pope Francis notes that the bishops must, quote, provide for the good of those who are rooted in the previous form of celebration, meaning the extraordinary form, but need to return in due time to the Roman rite promulgated by Paul VI and John Paul II, he said. Now, Pope Francis traces the origin of his document, Traditionis Custodes, to a survey of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith that conducted the, to the world's bishops to ask them how they thought and did Sumorum Pontificum of Benedict, was it being implemented in their diocese in a good way? Now, this is fascinating. The Pope claimed in his letter that he followed up this document. And he attributes that he did what he did because attitudes had developed in the church among the bishops that, quote, often characterized a rejection not only of the liturgical reform, meaning this missal, but of Vatican II itself, claiming it betrayed the tradition and the true church. So he restricted it. Now, my question is, did restricting it bring unity? Not quite so sure. Was this the right way to bring unity? Restricting the Latin form? I'm not sure. Many bishops claim they were never contacted about the survey. This is a fact. And they said that the Latin Mass in their diocese were working fine. I've actually talked to two of them this week. I was just curious. They don't want me to mention their names. I find this very interesting. So Tim Staples, who I respect, I, I, I went to him and he has written on this, and he said, then why did Pope Francis do this? And he said the idea was to continue a unified but revised Roman rite in the tradition of the Council of Trent, where Pope Pius V did something similar. Back in the 1500s, remember Pius V, I said? He made revisions. Now, here's the point, everybody. Modernists, which I definitely am not, those are people who don't feel we need anything of the past, so extreme modernists, say that Pius V eliminated all of these other rites that had emerged. And so Francis is just doing the same thing. But here's the thing, everybody. Pius V eliminated heretical rites that had surfaced after the Reformation. All those that were over 200 years old at the time of Trent, he left to intact. He left them intact. So in a way, Francis was incorrect to restrict the extraordinary form because it's not a second right. 
Now, I said earlier, my belief from reading everything is that he's kind of saying it looks like two different rights and I want to make one right. If that's what he truly believes, then, then, then you could see why he did it. If he really honestly believes we have two different rights and I'm trying to get back to one right, which has always been, then you can see why he did what he did. I want to believe in my heart that that's the truth. I want to believe in my heart that the Pope actually was incorrect in believing there were two rights and wanted to correct it rightfully by bringing back one right. But I don't know how you could see that. You're surrounded with the best theologians of the world. This is not two rights. Benedict said we don't have two rights. There's one right. There is only one Roman right. Now, the traditionalists, let's say radical traditionalists, will say, in spite of what you have read, that the Mass of St. Paul the Sixth is a new Mass. No, it's not. It's not a new Mass. It's important to recall that the promulgation of this missile in 1970, written in 69, was the legitimate and church-authorized development of the Missal of Pope Pius V. It came in a line. It came from the Trinitine Mass after Trent. It just came in a line. Now, in fact, there is no such thing as a new Mass in Catholic theology. Whenever you hear people criticize that the new Mass is invalid, there's two errors in that statement. You can't have a new mass in the Catholic Church. There's only one right. And secondly, even though it's dramatically changed, it's not invalid. All right. Every one of the seven major rights in the church, along with smaller rights present that we have, they present to us different external forms of the same sacrifice of the mass that Christ made present once and for all, the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, the Mass of Pius V is the root of this Mass. The Mass of Paul VI has its root in the Mass of Pius V. This is fascinating. All right? Although it had been edited, yes... We can't reject either form. Make that, does that make sense? You know, I still struggle with the reverence, the missing references to Mary, the missing references to St. Michael. I disagree with that. We need to bring Mary back in more, St. Michael back in more, because you only get protection from them if you ask for it. That's a mistake in my opinion. But it is important to remember that when Paul VI promulgated the Massali Romanum, as I said, 1969, published in 1970, he never abrogated the 1962 Missal, meaning he never repealed it. Instead, he derogated it. What does that mean? In canon law, derogation means a partial suppression of a law, as opposed to abrogation, which means a complete repeal of it. He did not do that. It was not that St. Paul VI 
could not have abrogated the 62 missile himself. He's the Pope. But he specifically made allowance for it to continue, but by indult only. So Pope Francis is returning to that. Pope Benedict confirmed the truth that the church does have the right to celebrate this mass because it's not bad. But Pope Paul VI had the right to go back, or I should say Pope Francis, to go back to the way it was before it, Benedict's modo proprio. So Tim Staples, he says, Benedict desired for there to be one Roman rite within the Latin rite church, and he created the novel idea that there were two forms of one Roman rite, the ordinary and the extraordinary form. And the hope was that this would bring about a mutual benefit. Because why? How could they mutually benefit each other? Okay, the extraordinary form could benefit the ordinary form in reverence. We could see how to really be reverent. At the same time, the ordinary form could benefit the extraordinary to bring about a deeper participation of the people. So they could help each other. It makes sense. All right? It makes sense. And you would have to be, I think, you would have the added bonus of keeping a lot of people in the church. But instead, we're losing these people. So what happened? All right. Benedict XVI had requested a thorough review be done after his modo proprio to see how it was doing. After he said, I'm allowing you to do the Latin Mass, he wanted to do a survey later to see how it's doing. Well, Pope Francis took him up on that, as I just said, 13 years later. Now, the first thing is, 13 years isn't very long. Secondly, many bishops say they never got contacted. All right. And Francis said he found a counterproductive situation. This is a so short amount of time where all the bishops asked, they say no. But Francis claimed the two forms of the one Roman rite was a source of division. This is why he did what he did. The allowance became, he said, sort of a Roman rite within the Roman rite within the Latin rite. I want to believe that. Many people don't. Many people believe he has a hidden agenda to just crush the extraordinary form. But if he's saying that it's because it was causing division, I want to believe his heart was in the right place. But if he's doing that because he wants to go from two rights to one right, he's wrong. There isn't two rights. There already is one right. This is powerful. Because it's not two rights, it's one right in two forms. What is Jesus Christ? One person with two natures. Jesus Christ is not two persons. Jesus Christ is one person, a divine person, who has a human and a divine nature. We have one right in two forms, extraordinary and ordinary, just like Jesus. Francis doesn't see it that way. I can't speak for him, but this is what I get from reading. So Francis heard that it was said that only those celebrating the 62 Missal represented the true church, and it upset him. 
It seems the goal has always been the same in the church since Vatican II, a unified Roman rite. Last couple paragraphs and we're done. With society of St. Pius X, there was even schism. Church never wants that. But I'll tell you this. Even if Francis believed that this was a cause of division, and even if he truly was doing what he wanted for the good of the church, I got to throw in this one I'm underscoring. I almost never do this. Everybody thinks I do. I never give you my opinion. I just give you church teaching. Now, people will write me and say, stop giving us your opinion. And I always write back. It's not my opinion. Everything I give is church teaching. Everything I give you on abortion, on contraception, that's not my opinion, even though, of course, I agree with it. It's church teaching. But I'm going to give you my opinion right here. If this was done because it was called division in the church, okay, but I could point to you a lot worse sources of division in the church right now. Priests teaching sodomy is okay. Priests kneeling in honor of institutions that are in favor of abortion, transgenderism, redefining marriage, priests and bishops that are in favor of women's ordination it has nothing to do with sexism. It is purely that the priest is in persona Christi. We got priests teaching heresy. We got bishops teaching heresy. To me, that's the source of division. Way more than the extraordinary form of the mass. That's my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. But we got a lot bigger fish to fry, in my opinion, such as teaching true Catholic doctrine, that marriage is only between a man and a woman, that abortion is wrong, life is sacred. Communism and Marxism are not the answer for social justice. These are your true sources of division. So the question, in my opinion, is even if I want to believe all this and what was done was done to prevent division, was that the right way or did it cause more division? I don't know. Only God knows. But that's what I wanted to say. Because the bottom line is this. There is no longer ordinary and extraordinary expressions of the mass that's been taken away now. I, I keep referencing it, but it's not. The Roman rite within the Latin rite of the Catholic Church does no longer say extraordinary, ordinary form. Pope Francis has authoritatively declared in Traditionis Custodes, quote, and this is his words, the liturgical books promulgated by Paul VI and John Paul II, meaning the Novus Ordo, in conformity with the degrees of Vatican II, are the unique expression, meaning the only, of Lex Orande of the Roman Rite. Lex Orande is the work of prayer, the belief of prayer, or the practice of prayer. So he's saying that this is the practice of how we pray. The Declaration brings the Church back to the course charted by Vatican II. But this does not mean that the extraordinary form of the Mass is bad. 
Why? Because groups still celebrate it. We can't reject it. So pray for a change. Don't criticize, please. If you are in favor of the extraordinary form and yet it's your preferred source of mass, God bless you. But please don't declare the Novus Ordo invalid. Likewise, to the modernists, please do not yell and shout that the extraordinary mass, the form of the mass, should be forever suppressed and never ever celebrated and be rejected. That's wrong too. Pray for a change. It's not bad. It's a good thing. You know, it's a discipline like eating meat on Friday, and we have to be obedient. The Pope has this authority, whether we agree or not. For instance, um, me being, I wanted to go a couple years ago to Iraq. I really felt hard in my heart God was calling me to go to be with the Christians in Iraq because they were being slaughtered. Now it seems to be Nigeria. Please, another priest just a couple days ago was martyred. His rectory was burned. And I felt very strongly about going to Iraq. And at the time, Father Mike Gately even was feeling that. And I went to Father Kaz and I asked permission. Now, that's a good thing. I should be fully allowed to do something good, right? Father Kaz is provincial in his authority, said no. So I didn't sit there and scream that that means Father Kaz is a renegade superior. I didn't scream and yell that you're prohibiting me from doing something good. I had to be obedient, even though I wanted to go to Iraq. But I was told by my provincial that it's not prudent at this time. And so therefore, the authority to given by Father Kaz, whether I agreed with it or not, I need to be obedient. So obedience is a key, especially for us in religious life. And I do want to celebrate. I want to learn the extraordinary form. But I will follow the guidelines of the church. However, that comes about. So to finish, it is restricted, not suppressed. And as I said, hopefully the reasons that were given are true. We don't know. But basically it goes back to the bishops. Now the bishops in the diocese have the right to permit it or not. So I call it the right formerly known as the extraordinary form is now called the Missal of John the 23rd. So where do we go from here? Pope Francis did not abrogate the 62 Missal. He abrogated Summorum Pontificum of Benedict. He overturned the motu proprio. He did not overturn the celebration of the Missal of 62. Francis has taken us back to where we were before Benedict's document, when the church permitted the usage of the 62 Missal only in accordance with an indult granted by Pope John Paul II, where the bishop decides. So Francis hasn't really done anything 
shocking in one sense. He just returned us to where we were before Benedict. Do I agree with it? Personally, no. Will I obey it? Yes. I am an ordained priest. Pope Francis stated that if it could be shown that there is a legitimate need, now listen to this, this is very interesting. Francis said, it could, if, it, if it could be shown that there is legitimate need and that the community celebrating the 62 missile demonstrates that it does not present among its members a schismatic mindset that would call into question the authority of Vatican II, the post-conciliar reforms, the, the legitimate jurisdictional authority of the Pope, or any other essential Catholic teachings or practices, they could continue to offer the Mass using the 1962 missile. I wish he would say that to the heretical priests. <laughs> that allow you to continue mass as long as you're not violating church teaching. So we now have in the church a single Massale Romanum and one Lex Orande of the Roman Rite. Now, in order to facilitate the movement of the Roman Rite forward, he declared that there are to be no new parishes or groups established where the 1962 missile is used. It would be grandfathered for the older ones and granted by indult. Again, not so sure this is prudent not to have new ones. So in other words, the Latin mass, the TLM can grow, but it can't multiply because no new places of worship can be erected, but existing ones can continue. So let's pray they grow. They can't, they can grow, excuse me, they can, they can grow, but they can't multiply because it's not allowed in parochial churches. Only designated areas and no new ones are allowed to be built. I don't understand that, but I'm trusting. For those who love Latin, Latin is not banned. The Novus Ordo can be done in Latin. Maybe that's the best way forward. You want reverence, you want Latin, maybe find the Novus Ordo celebrated in Latin. That is totally allowed. In fact, that might be a better place for me to begin celebrating the Novus Ordo in Latin. Latin is not banned. And so the last thing is how have the bishops responded to this? There was a great article by Joseph Shaw called How Have the Bishops Responded to Traditionis Custodis? You know what they, he concluded? The bishops have struggled with this. They've struggled to implement this modo proprio, and they continue to allow the traditional Latin mass. This is fascinating. Are they being disobedient? Not exactly. Let's listen to this. The TLM, or the traditional Latin mass, is thriving, they say, during time of this restriction. You know what it reminds me of? Communism. When was the Catholic faith the strongest in Europe? When communism was at its peak. Because it was trying to crush it. And when communism was trying to crush the Catholic faith and saying you can't practice it, it flourished. Right now, the bishops are saying that the TLM is thriving. They're not being disobedient. Listen to this. Many bishops said they grant permission based on canon number 87. And that means 
that you can derogate from the law of the church, meaning you could veer from the law for the good of souls. So a bishop could look at that and say, for the good of souls, I'm not following this document. Only if they believe that truly in their heart. Traditiones Custodes, Article 3, regulates the celebration of Mass specifically for formal groups. Now, get a load of this. So some priests have done it by saying, we will have a meeting at the church at this particular day and time, not defined by any group. We'll just have a meeting and it just so happens the extraordinary form mass is celebrated. That's Article 3. Article 4 regulates which priests can celebrate the, low, the Latin mass publicly. But look at our next slide. Here's a picture of a beautiful celebration of the Latin mass. And that leaves open the private celebration of the mass by any priest and even its public celebration who have been given personal permission by their bishop because they can celebrate it on any occasion, any time they wish. As long as they got permission of the bishop. So it's not suppressed. It's restricted. And I think this is interesting. Out of 243 dioceses where they have data, do you know 182 have not canceled any Latin masses? Out of the 243 dioceses that we have data on, 182 have not canceled any masses. And 36 other dioceses have only canceled some. Pope Francis suggests the unity of the church requires a single and identical prayer, which must be difficult for those priests to interpret and for bishops who preside over dioceses where there's multiple rites. Not that you have two Latin rites, there's only one Latin rite, but you've got Byzantine, you've got the Eastern rites, you've got the ancient rites, the Ambrosian rite, uh, the Mozarabic rite. So this must be confusing to them to have parishes where Mass is celebrated in different languages, probably Spanish, all right? Varied liturgical styles and perhaps even several rites, the Greeks, different rites, the Eastern Church. So in conclusion, Pope Francis invites Catholics to rediscover the richness of Sancrosanctum's Concilium, which is Vatican II's Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. But again, is this the answer? Restriction? I don't know. We pray. I don't personally believe it is. But we cannot deny the good that comes out of the Latin Mass. Look at the youth. The youth are seeking out the Latin Mass. Have you ever seen that series of videos, Masses, Mass for the Ages? Mass for the Ages video, amazing. You know, demons, they really fear Latin because Latin is the language of the body of Christ. So there is a beauty in it that's not captured when you translate to English or other vernacular languages. But at the same time, the vernacular helps people to understand, helps people to be engaged. It helps people to know what's happening in their liturgy. It helps them. So my answer is, you can't condemn either one. We'd be obedient 
We get the indult if we want to celebrate it from the bishop. We follow the rules. But you can't declare the extraordinary form bad or evil. And at the same time, our radical traditionalist friends cannot call the Novus Ordo invalid. I know this is a ton to give you. I know this is deep, deep seminary and church teaching. I hope somehow it made even the littlest sense. But this is what people have wanted. And I gave you my best shot at trying to explain it. I apologize for some it was too simple and for others it was too much. But we're going to keep this flavor going because next week I'm doing Vatican II. <laughs> So everybody's going to groan and say, oh, no, Father, don't know if we're ready for that. But what a beautiful gift we have in our church. Do not hesitate to embrace it all. Yeah, we got work to do, especially on the reverence you saw from that video. My, oh, my. Am I even for a minute condoning uh, a Nova Sordo mass that looks like that? No way. But when you see a Nova Sordo Mass, as I said, celebrated by priests like Mark Goring, Wade Menendez, Bill Casey, Mitch Pacwa, Father Kaz, or all the Marian priests, you'll see beauty. You'll see true beauty. And so it is valid. It is important. But we must be obedient. But at the same time, we must be reverent. So praise be to God that we can worship him. Now let the church tell us how. Let us not tell the church how. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Now the last thing I want to say is please join us. Be part of our Marian helpers. If Brother Mark can put up on the screen, if you would like to receive, speaking of many graces, there are tons of graces uh, to being a Marian helper. It doesn't cost anything. It, it, it takes just a couple seconds. You can sign up. You can be a Marian helper and start receiving a lot of graces. We pray for you. You pray for us. It's a blessing. And then lastly, my two books, Understanding Divine Mercy. You can get those at shopmercy.org or 800-4-MARIAN. You can get a copy. It explains all this about the Mass. And then finally, if you've lost anybody, you're going through any struggles, not just suicide, but any kind of suffering or loss, pick up our book called After Suicide, There's Hope. Because although the book's not just about suicide, any kind of suffering or loss, it tells you what true church teaching is and how to get through the difficult times. And so if you know anybody that's lost, I use suicide as an example because it's what the lowest point that I experienced in my life with the suicide of my grandma. But I'll teach you and show you why God, how we have a hard time understanding, allows suffering. It really will help. So please pick up a copy. And if you can't afford it, I'll send you one for free. Just contact Peter. He's in today. 413-298-1303. Or email him at peterjames at marian.org. M-A-R-I-A-N. God bless you, and we hope that you'll join us next week as we talk on Vatican II. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. The talk has ended. Thanks be to God. Thank you, everybody. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking 
and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.